In many parts of the world, a common greeting is to say that God is good. And in those parts of the world, it almost seems like a question, because after you say God is good, the people you speak to respond and they say, God is good, or they say all the time, yeah. And um, what I want to speak to you about today is an idea that God is merciful, which I think is what is meant when we say God is good. But more particularly, I want to talk about the idea that God is patient, which is one of the most important parts of the idea that God is merciful. In our scripture reading, and I thought you were listening well, I was watching a number of you during that reading of the passage. Did you notice there that God saw the wickedness of man that was great on the earth? He saw that it was great. It repented him that he had made man on the earth. He said he would destroy man with the earth. And how long was it before he did it? 120 years. That is from the time when God decided that man was so wicked he should be destroyed until the time when the man was destroyed was more than a century. And this idea is going to launch us into our short Bible study. I want to share with you three thoughts. One idea is that God's patience is everything to us. It is the reason that we have any hope. God's patience is the only reason we can be optimistic about personally getting to heaven. The second idea is that God's patience is a model for us. He intended that it would affect the way we relate to each other, and that impatience is incongruous. That is, it doesn't match Christian living. If you or I are impatient, that just doesn't match the experience we should be having as a Christian. The third idea is that God's patience has a limit. It doesn't go on forever. It isn't so that God just puts up with sin indefinitely. There is a limit, and when the limit is reached, judgment begins. Let's begin looking at some passages. Turn your Bibles to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, and looking at verse 9. The word slack here means slow or tardy. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness or tardiness. But the Lord is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I want you to see in the word long-suffering there that it has a direction. Do you see a direction there connected with long-suffering? In the King James, it says to us word. In the New King James, it says toward us. That's all the same idea. God's long-suffering is aimed directly toward us. So God's long-suffering has a direction and it has a purpose. He doesn't want us to die. If you put those ideas together, you'll see if the reason he's long-suffering is because he doesn't want us to die, that means that if he wasn't long-suffering, we certainly would die. Can you see that? That if he's long-suffering to us to give us a chance, it means if he wasn't long-suffering, we would not even have a chance. God's long-suffering, his patience is everything to us. 
It's the reason we have a chance. And what is he aiming for in his patience? Well, how does he give us a chance? He's giving us time to come to repentance. That is, he appeals to us. He appeals to us to make a change. And he appeals to you today to make a change. If you make the change today, that's repentance. But if you don't make the change today, that doesn't mean he gives up on you today. He appeals to you tomorrow. He appeals to you for sometimes months or years or even many years. This is what I mean when I say that God's patience is everything to us. But it's also true, the third idea, that God's patience has a limit. And there comes a time when if we harden ourselves against his appeals, we become insensitive. And at that point, his warning voice is removed. He no longer entreats us or calls us to do the right thing. He lets us go. Notice it doesn't only say in this verse that God is patient, but it says long-suffering. Long-suffering is the word patience with an adverb to let you know that he's patient for a long time. And it requires long patience to save us because we are obstinate or else we're slow or else we're slow of comprehension. I don't know if I'd even ask you to raise your hand, but I hope if I did that you would admit that either you're obstinate or slow or slow of comprehension. But it's for one of these reasons that saving us is difficult and takes time. You're in 2 Peter 3. Look down at verse, is it 13? Verse 15. It says, we should account that the long suffering of our Lord is, what does it say? Salvation. God's long-suffering mercy is salvation. That's what Paul teaches according to Peter. That's what Peter teaches according to this passage right here. God's long-suffering is everything to us. If I were to ask you, maybe not right in this situation now because you're prepped already, but if we were somewhere else some other time, and I were to ask you to tell me what are the characteristics of divinity? I think I know some of the first things people would volunteer. They would say, God knows everything, or he's very smart. Is that true? They would say, God is eternal. Is that true? That's true. They would say, God is omnipotent, which just means he's very powerful. Is that true? Or has all powers, what the word literally means. He's the creator. That's true. And all of these ideas are in Scripture, and they're all important. But there was a time when Moses asked God to reveal himself. It's in Exodus 34, and God did reveal himself. Why don't you turn there to Exodus 34? Exodus 34, and I want you to see when God introduces himself to us, which characteristics of himself he highlights. Exodus 34 and looking at verse 6. And the Lord passed by before him. Him there would be Moses. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, that is Jehovah, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. 
It's also true that God is a God of justice. That's the last half of that verse seven. And this highlights two of our three ideas this morning. One is that God's long suffering is everything to us. But what's the third idea? God's patience has a, a limit. And when the limit is reached, judgments begin. When God introduces himself to us, he doesn't say the Lord Jehovah, omnipotent, omnipresent, uh, omniscient, eternal. He could have said those things. Those are all true. But he knows what I'm telling you, that our salvation is dependent on his mercy, the longness of his suffering, his patience with us. In Isaiah 30, verse 18, it says, the Bible says, therefore the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. If you're taking notes, that was Isaiah 30, verse 18. Why does God wait? It's for the purpose of being gracious. And now turn to James chapter 5. We're almost done with the first of the three thoughts. James chapter 5, and looking at verse 7. James 5, verse 7. It says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. It sounds like in verse 7 that waiting for God, for Jesus to come back, would wear out the patience of some people. Like it would take too long for them. And so what does God bid us do? Be patient, and then he says something about himself. He says, Behold, the husbandman waits for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it until it received the early and the latter rain. This week was a somewhat hard week for gardens in Arkansas. I don't know if any of you experienced that. And uh, I learned something. I... Uh, I covered my tomatoes this week. I put a covering over top of them, and you know they did just fine. But I neglected to cover my grapes, and you know they did not well. And I neglected to cover my persimmon tree, and it horribly suffered. And my baby figs that I didn't cover, not figs, but fig trees, it went ill for them. That was the first night it was cold, Monday night. You all remember there was more than one cold night, right? That was Monday night that things went like that. So by Tuesday night, I had learned something, and I not only covered my tomatoes, but I covered my already destroyed plants. Not that it necessarily could help them, but at least I could practice what I'd learned the night before. And what I learned from this experience looking back, is that when the husbandman waits a long time for the harvest, I can relate to that. I'm going to have to wait a long time to get anything out of the, the fruit trees I've put in this year. I'm going to have to wait. But I can see the husbandman, when he's patient, is not patient and distant. The husbandman is not patient and passive. That is, while he's waiting for you to come to repentance, he's doing something. 
He's trying to cover you and protect you and help you. Every moment we wait is dangerous for us, but the husbandman that's waiting for you is trying to help you. He's trying to help me. Aren't you glad the husbandman doesn't just let us freeze? Look at verse 8, which brings us to our second point. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draws nigh. Do you see in these two verses that the patience of God is a model for us? That the long-suffering that God has toward us, he intends for us also to have? I want to show that to you more clearly. Turn back to Matthew 18. Matthew 18 has a parable famous for its perplexities. Matthew chapter 18, and looking at verse 26. This is the servant that owed 10,000 talents. And I learned something from this parable that people who depend on works for salvation could potentially be saved in their sincerity. I can see that in verse 26, and I think that many people that don't understand the gospel may in fact make it. Look at what it says in verse 26. And the servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Now, do you know it? Can he pay all? He can't, but what does he beg for? He begs for patience, doesn't he? Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him from the debt. Now, did that man ask to be forgiven of the debt? He didn't even ask for that, but did he receive it? He did receive it because God's long suffering and his forgiveness are significant and they're active. But you know, it doesn't work out okay for this works-oriented man in the long end. It doesn't work out for him in this parable. You know that? Because God intended that his long suffering to us would be a model for us. So look down at verse 29. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. You know, here was someone else that had not done him quite right. And that person was asking for patience. And did he give that man patience? He didn't. But I want you to see, because of what you remember from the parable, because we're not going to read the rest of it, I want you to remember that when God shows me long-suffering and patience, when I am obstinate and hard-hearted, and when it takes him months or years to get me to change, he expects that when someone else takes months or years to change, that I will not become blistery or frustrated or otherwise impatient with that person. That is, the patience that God has, he expects to be a model for us. Can you see it in the parable? Look at Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2 is part of a fascinating logical development where Paul teaches that if you are stringent holding people accountable for the mistakes they make, it's evidence that you have not accepted God's mercy on the inside. That's the logic of the first six verses of Romans 2. And we're going to only look at verse 4. 
It says, do you despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering? Don't you know that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Our first idea was that God is very patient with, I'm going to make it first person for me, and you can do that for you. God is very patient with me because he wants me to make it to heaven. He's very patient because he wants me to repent. And it is his patience that gives me a chance to repent. But in Romans 2 verse 4, if I understand that, I'm not going to be impatient with you. If I'm impatient with you, I'm despising the very, the very patience that gives me a chance. And if I despise that patience, it can have no power in my life. That is, my impatience with you robs me of the power of God's patience. I say these things first person because I struggle with patience. If you're taking notes, I'm going to give you a few references that I'm not going to turn to, but I want you to uh, know about them if you take notes. One of them is Ecclesiastes 7 verse 8. It says there that the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. And I would like you to consider that maybe those two ideas are related to each other, that impatience is somewhat related to pride, that it's because of our pride that we're impatient. And if we were really humble, we would be more patient with those who are making mistakes. The other passage is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 14. It says, be patient toward all men. You can memorize that much of the verse without much trouble, couldn't you? Be patient toward who? All men need our patience. People, everyone you know and that I know does things that at times don't match what they ought to do. And whether it's because they're slow or ignorant or obstinate, whatever the case may be, I should be patient toward them because God is patient toward me. The other one is Galatians 5.22, and I think that you maybe know that. That's about the fruit of the Spirit, and one of those fruits is, in fact, patience, long-suffering. That might even be two of them. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 is right there near Galatians, if you were trying to look up all the verses as fast as I was saying them. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. Maybe we should start in verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation, that is, of the the position or the job that you have as a Christian with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Is God patient toward us? Why, that's everything to us. It's our only hope. It's that he's so patient. But if you want to live in a way that matches being a Christian, we should show that kind of forbearance to each other. Let me say this even more practically. If you find yourself getting frustrated in your family or in your dorm or where the people are close to you, there should be 
you should realize there's something wrong there that you don't want this to happen, that with what judgment you judge, that you will be judged. You don't want it to happen that God will act towards you the way you act toward others. Maybe you're wondering, well, what do I do about it? I have an idea for you. Confess to those to whom you have been impatient that you have been impatient. Ask them to pardon you for that. Confess to God that you've been impatient and ask him to pardon you for that. And the process of putting away impatience you make room for God to rewrite the tablets of your heart. He can rewrite what's there and make us a new lump, as it were. I'm referring to the metaphor of making clay, making something out of clay. You're familiar, perhaps, with uh, 2 Timothy 4, verse 2, where it says, preach the word. You know, all you young men who are thinking of someday doing that, you should know that verse. It says, preach the word, be instant in season. But don't forget the end of the verse. When it says, preach the word, it says, do it with all long suffering. That is, you can preach the hard, present truth. You can call people to the highest standard. But calling them to the highest standard is no excuse for being impatient with them when they don't reach it. Preach the word with all what? Long suffering. Now I can see several of you are nearly asleep already, but we're to the third part of this thought, and I bid you all wake up. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 9, verse 22. Romans chapter 9 and verse 22. This is speaking about that difficult part of the Bible where God destroyed all the firstborn of Egypt and then destroyed their entire military in one hour period. It's about that terrible time when he sent those plagues on Egypt. And if that part of the Bible is difficult for us, we should learn how to deal with it because plagues are coming. And the plagues that are coming are not going to be shorter or less significant than the ones that came. Do you follow what I'm trying to say? If what happens there really troubles you, you should learn to make peace with it because it's going to happen again. Romans 9 verse 22 says, What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? I want to say that to you in a way that you can check out later. For 400 years, God put up with the wicked way the Egyptians treated his people. For 400 years, he endured that. You know, the entire time God was willing to show his fury against the oppressor, there wasn't one bit of that 400 years that God wasn't willing to make rights, I mean, make wrongs right. God is always willing to hold the rapist accountable and to give the murderer what he ought to receive. God is willing to execute justice. But what holds him back? It's his long suffering. He wants to give people a chance to see. And I know there were Egyptians who during that 400 years saw something different in the religion of the Hebrews and chose to change their plans and the way they lived. And some of them even left with the Hebrews when the Hebrews left Egypt. You know that's true, don't you, that some of them went with them. God is willing to execute justice. It, his, just, his mercy 
is a model for us, his long suffering. But the third point that we're on right now is that his patience has a limit. For Egypt, it was 400 years. For Noah's day, it was 120. For Sodom, I don't know how long it was before the talk with Abraham, but it was about 20 hours after that talk. God has a limit to his patience. And when that limit runs out, what happens? Judgments begin. I think the two ideas that are on either end of this talk need to come together. The one that God's patience is everything to us and the other that God's patience has a limit. They need to come together because if we only think about one of them, if we think about the limit, we could lose our courage. And if we only think about his patience, we could play games with it. But both of those would be a disaster for us. We don't have time to play games, but we can have courage because he is patient. Turn to 1 Peter. You were in 2 Peter earlier. Now you're going to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 refers back to Genesis. That story that we read about in our scripture reading. We're going to look at verse 20. It's speaking here about the captive sinners, the people who were prisoners to sin, in other words, the addicts that lived before the flood. Verse 20, it says, which sometimes were disobedient. When were they disobedient? That was before the flood. When once the long suffering of God waited, what does it say? In the days of Noah. Why was it 120 years according to 1 Peter 3? Because God was long-suffering. What was he doing? He was waiting for them to come to repentance. They didn't come. I mean, except for eight of them, they didn't respond. So I'm not trying to teach that God's patience is always successful. I'm only saying his patience is our only hope. Do you follow that idea? We can't play games with it, but we should be thankful for it in the extreme. Those are the three thoughts. I want to summarize them and close. That first thought is that God is so patient with me. It breaks my heart when I think about how patient he's been with me. If it doesn't break your heart when you think about how patient he's been with you, I think that it's because you must not be aware of how patient he has been with you. That God's patience is our only hope. He says in 2 Peter, we should call it salvation. And counting that the Lord's patience or long-suffering is salvation. His patience is waiting for us to come to repentance, but he doesn't wait for us like a passive farmer. He is a good husbandman, and he is working to save the grain, to save the fruit. He has long patience for it, but he has an end in mind. And he takes care of every tree, even though not every tree is going to bear fruit. He digs around every tree and he fertilizes every tree, but not every tree is going to bear fruit. His patience is the only reason the trees survive as long as they do. But if they will not eventually produce fruit, does his patience have a limit? He says, let's take care of it this year and the next. 
And then if it does not, let's cut it down. Why does it cumber the ground? God's patience is everything to us, but it has a limit. And in the meantime, our patience needs to model after his. We're the ones who need to see how patient he is with us and just to that extent, be patient with others. Now you might put two and two together and get the wrong answer. You might say, I also will be patient with the limit. But no, that's not right. Because you should be patient with others with the same limit God is patient with you. And if his patience with you is up, there's no sense you worrying about being patient with anyone else. If you're still a Christian, he's still being patient with you, and you should be patient to just that extent with everyone else. God's patient, patience is long-suffering, it's good. It's all the time, for a time, and when it's over, judgments will come. When those are over, we get to go to heaven. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.